Happy Father's Day again. You know, it's exciting because I'm, I'm looking forward to the series. It's going to be a good series for us. You know, I, I, I just, uh, seven churches of revelations. It's a fun one. And I, I, I was talking about it last service, and I talked about it again. You know, a lot of fun things happen for us dads, you know. And you go, what does that have to do with revelation? Well, I'll share with you a little bit. As a, as a dad, you know, you get proud of your sons and daughters, right? It's like my daughter, she was up here singing today. I was all, ah, oh, it's my girl. It's, it's so fun. You know, and, and I like to say, you know, because I, I like to sing too, but I didn't teach her how to do that. She had to learn elsewhere. But we dads, we like to teach our kids, don't we? And so, so what do we do with our kids? We teach them different things that we like. Like, you know, field dressing a squirrel. That's pretty fun. You know, weird things like the spaghetti off the ceiling. That's unique. Okay, we got that. But there's different things. You know, like my dad tried to teach me about, about sports. And, and, I, and I like sports. And so we did sports together. And then there were other things that he was into. And it was like, a, you know, a, he tried you know, like trains. I like model railroading. He was like, yeah, what else can my son get into? But he was kind of old school. And so he, he brought out the coin collection. And for me, coins are meant to be spent, not kept. And, and, and so he wanted to show me those. And then he was really into stamps. Because back in the day, you know, we used to send letters, you know. And so he would collect these rare stamps. And you remember the, the, the thing that I really liked, you remember the old envelopes, uh, the airmail with the red and the blue around the edges? You don't see that much these days. And those things, they were really special because I remember he would, he would show me this and I go, where's this one from? And he goes, well, that's from Indonesia. And he, I go, whoa, Indonesia. And you get out the Britannica, the World Book Encyclopedia or something, you go, where's that? And you're looking at the weird people there and you're like, wow, that's amazing. And he goes, yeah, it was given to me by a, by a missionary. I was like, whoa. And so he got this special letter, you know, and it was like, wow, that's a big deal. But, but today in our world, you know, we have email. And, and it's not that special. Because why? We just go, they're gone. And there's not, we just do it flippantly with a text. We don't take a lot of time normally with something like that. But a letter is special. When someone takes time to write to us, we're like, wow, that's, that's important. I think my dad, I kept a few letters from him that he had written me, and as well as my grandfather. And then I've kept all the letters that my wife has written to me because I'm like, oh, those are special because they took thought. They took care. And church, uh, where's we go into the book of Revelation, this is a letter for you. It's a letter, as you can see, it's a letter to encourage you. And that's what we're going to look at today. And as we open this series of the seven churches, a letter to encourage you. Now, we look at encouragement, we go, hey, that's that a boy, right? That, that let, we think of, hey, I feel good after reading it. You know, that, that's not necessarily what all encouragement is. It's an encouragement to persevere, saying you can do this. Oh, we want to make you feel good. Yes, but we want you to succeed. And so you're encouraged, like a father says, hey, encourages their child to go further. You can do this. You can ride that bike. You can pass this test. You can do that thing. You can marry that girl, that guy. We can encourage you. And so Christ gives us this letter. Our Savior, our risen Lord, writes this letter for us. And I tell you, all through Scripture, we can see God's divine hand in this. And we can look at the different letters that are written to churches, to Israel, and we can glean from it as we read in 2 Timothy in chapter 2 or 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, 
for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So why do we read the Word of God? So we can do what we're called to do. But this letter is so unique. It's for us today. It's for us now. I was thinking about how to kind of engage you. What about this? I'm going to ask you a question. If Jesus were to write a letter to our church, what would he say? Think about that. The risen Lord, the Savior, God, writing to New Life Community Church, what would he say? And some of you are going, well, tell the pastor to get a different color shirt, right? (laughs) Somebody say that. We say, well, that pastor and those staff members, they're slacking a little bit. You know, we gotta, we got to work on them. But you know what? The church isn't me. It's you guys, too. What would he say to you? If God were to pen a letter, a thoughtful letter, to you directly, if you would think about that, it would be awe-inspiring or it would be humbling because we've got to understand that this book as we read in Revelation to the seven churches in Asia Minor, these churches have a letter that is written to them. But at a tagline of every letter, we see something very clear, and we could see it as this. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. See, that's what it's saying. He's saying, hey, do you have an ear? Do you hear it? How many people have one of these? Maybe you got two. Some of them don't work so good, but you know what? You've got them. And we're supposed to listen. So the question is, how will we respond when we hear? See, that's the question for a Christian. How will we respond from what God instructs in this book? That's where we go today. I want to encourage you as we get going that this letter is for you. And I realize a lot of us, you know, we don't know a lot. Sometimes we we lack in certain areas. And sometimes we are very knowledgeable. But you know what? As the churches in Asia Minor, some of them knew a lot. And they got what? They got complacent. Some of them didn't know enough. And they got wayward. Some of them knew more than they thought they knew. And they didn't care. Some dabbled because they knew what the side of life was that wasn't of God so we have to ask ourselves how will we respond but I want to start off by saying this this is Jesus's letter to encourage you that's what it is Jesus wants to encourage you wants to motivate you wants you to be the man or woman that you are called to be he wants you to remain righteous and live righteously all the way to the end and that's where we forget is you know what we we are here you know this time and this era and this state and in this year this time of history and you were made perfect for it see that's why you're not born you know in in 1895 see god knew you were the right person for right now And he has you here, and he wants you to live for him, and you matter to him, and he thought, and he knew you would be ideal for this time in history. Now, the question is, how will you persevere in it? And so we open the book to see what our God has to say to us, and we see the first 
verse in Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop there just with those few words. You see, we look at that word revelation and we think automatically, we think apocalypse. We think of catastrophe. We think of crazy stuff. But you know what that means, revelation? It means unveiled. An unveiling. A laying out. And that's what Jesus is doing. He is laying out for the churches what's going on and what is to come. And so we see the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John, who testified to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So we see very plainly here that, you know what? God is now going to instruct. He's going to lay it out to the church via John, the apostle John. He's going to say, here, I want this to be said. And so here John is having a one-on-one time with Jesus. And we have to understand what Jesus wants is understand this. is Jesus doesn't want his church to falter, but to stay strong. That's what Jesus has desired. That's how it's been since Pentecost. He didn't want a church to go wayward. He doesn't want a church to go after their own ends. He wants a church to be righteous and to stay the course with him. And so we see that there's blessing in it in Revelations 1.3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. For the time is near. A few things there. Church, we are now in the end times. It was this way at, from Pentecost on. The times are here. They are nearer now than they've ever been to the second coming of God. The, the wrapping up of everything. And we have to be understanding this and understanding that this is a vital time. You are here for a vital purpose at a vital time, but it's on you. Because it says, blessed is he who reads the words of the prophecy. And what else does it say? Who heeds it. See, it's one thing, we can read it, we can hear it, and we can go, oh, that's great, but it doesn't mean anything. You aren't blessed if you aren't putting it into action. We are called to be people that are to be people of action, that are doing, that are about it. Because understand, church, God promised a special blessing on the one who reads the book and obeys its message. There's a special blessing here for you. And we, we don't know what that is, except that it's an encouragement. It's a motivation for you to finish strong. And so we'll discover crowns that will be given and bestowed onto people. We'll, be, we'll, we'll discover our God on how wonderful and majestic he is. And that's a wonderful thing because I'll tell you, that first church, 
They were under severe persecution. Now, understand, I think we all are under some persecution. You know, we're watching it every day. We are bombarded with stuff, and all our persecution looks different. Laura and my family, we are just been oppressed lately. I just want to share that with you. And God's, you know, there for us, but, you know, sometimes it's difficult. But I think of the first church. They were under it wholeheartedly. You know, Peter was crucified upside down as a martyr. James was one of the first martyrs. All the apostles had now died. All that's left is the apostle John. And John had been boiled in oil twice, but he didn't die. So Caesar got upset with him and said, get rid of him, I can't kill this guy. And he banished him to the island of Patmos, which is about 60 miles off of Greece. He sent him there to rot. And there... He wants to write the letter to encourage the church. He is, he is commissioned by God to write this letter. And church, I don't know where you're at. Caesar didn't like Christians very much, and we're going to learn about that. But you know what? Satan doesn't like Christians very much now. The world doesn't like what we stand for. And so I'll tell you, we've got to prepare ourselves because I'll tell you, this letter is for you to gain hope, strength, and to examine your life. That's what it's here for. See, a lot of us, we get carried away with looking at the prophecy. No, this is to encourage you, to give you hope, to strengthen that strength that you need to be the man of God, the woman of God, to be the dad of God, to be, that came out wrong, but you know what I'm saying? the father of your children as a man of God. See, we are here, we are to grab hold of this, and it's not just about reading it. As we see in James, it says this in James chapter one, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. See, so often in our churches today and the culture of the church in America is they'll go to church, they'll hear it, and then they go, that's great. I, that, that was really good. That was good for me, you know. But they dilute it, and they just say, okay. And then there was never any fruit from it. See, that's not our, our call. We are called to be convicted. We are called to live. We are called to strive, to work after it. It takes work. It takes hard work to be a Christian. But we are called to be doers. See, this book, this, this time as we get into Revelation, it's not about unpacking mysteries. See, that's where the Christian goes off. We try to interpret things and apply it to the world and all that stuff. And that's neat and all. But this book is to motivate you, to keep you strong, to keep you persevering, and to know that, you know what? Your God is worth living for. The world isn't. So God, he wants you to understand something very clear here. He wants you to be encouraged to read it. But understand this, Jesus reveals his sovereign love for you in this book. He loves you so much. And he, and he wants to show his love. Like, like a father, we want to show our love to our kids, right? Even when they do wrong. And so often, how do we love our kids is to discipline them. So often, God has to discipline us so we get back on track. That's not out of that he hates us. It's out of his love for us, his sovereign love. He is involved with everything. And so often, you know what? We can get into trouble in our lives. It's saying that you ever been there, you know, that's been in our family for a little bit now. We're just like, where are you, God? Come on, show up. It's time. You know, 
Where are you? And we get, we get frustrated in those troubling times. And the reality comes down to is we have to say, God is in control. And we got to remind ourselves of that even when it's difficult. Even when it doesn't seem to be showing up. Well, he's, he is in control. He's sovereign. Look how it says here in verse 4 of chapter 1. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the servant, and from, and, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, real quick, here we have God who was. He was, he was before anything was. He is here with us in our midst, and he is to come. And that's what we have to grab hold of and understand. Hey, this is who God is. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about those seven spirits in front of him. But we have to understand our God is present. And then in verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and released us from the sins by his blood. Now look at that verse. I mean, here we are as we have been released from sin. Now, it shames me a little bit as a Christian because what do I want from God? I want more. And I should be very content that I am saved from hell. Amen? I mean, think of the, think of the alternative. Think of the alternative. You know, the world, those people that are perishing but God chose you. Oh, that should be enough. And, and we don't, we so often don't remain content in that. And, and you know why? Because God's bestowed on us responsibility too. He's, respons he's given us things to do, but also blessings that we can occur as we seek him and, and seek to live for him. Look at verse six. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, he's made us. It doesn't matter your station in life, whether you're a pauper, whether you're a king. It doesn't matter if you're a, a, a grave digger or you're a skyscraper builder. It doesn't matter who you are in life. God has elevated you to a station of life as a priest that is to minister to him, meaning giving him glory, but also you get to minister to the world. You see, the Israelites were that priest. The Israelites were that nation. But they, they forsook Jesus. They did not embrace his message. And so they were held in abeyance. And now we as Christians, we are those people. We can read about that in, in Revelation and also in 2 Peter. That we are God's people for his mighty work. This is who he has called us to be. Now that's love. I don't deserve that. So not only has he saved me, not only is he always here for me, not only that, he has given me a purpose. And the world doesn't have a purpose. Their purpose is their ends. My purpose is God's ends, which is eternal. Wow. That's something that matters. And he loves us so much. Now look here, let's go down. Look at verse seven. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. 
and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. See, that's the second coming. See, his love for you as a church is you're not going to mourn. That's the beauty of it. You won't be here for that. See, we call that the rapture. I'm not going to truly get into the rapture and unpack it all for you. But the wonderful joy is the church will be taken prior to this. Because you know why? Because we read about the rapture in Corinthians and in Revelation that God comes like a thief for his church. No one knows. No one knows. But here the world sees him and mourns. All will see. But you, church, let me encourage you here. This is some good news. Look at this in 1 Thessalonians. And it says, And the Lord, then the Lord himself, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be raised first, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Now that's good news. As I tell you, you want to get in, you read Revelation. You see what it's all about. You see the, the hailstones falling from heaven, the pestilence. You see the famine. You see the things that sting you and make people in pain and agony. I'm not there. Whew. I mean, there are some, you know, a lot of people, there's, there's discussions, there's theological arguments and discussions for, for a pre-trib, which is you, you're, you're raptured before the tribulation. Some believe mid-trib, which is in the middle of the tribulation, and some at the end. And that's a great discussion. But you know, my sovereign God loves us. And we can read constantly in Thessalonians. We can read in John, 1 John. We can see he saves us from the wrath to come, meaning not judgment, but the wrath of the end. And we see very clearly that you may not agree with it, but you know what? I'm, I'm going to go, go pre-trib because I don't want to be here for any of it. I, I, I say, my God loves us. You know, we can read also in this that, you know, the world, yes, they're going to be mourning, but the Christian will be taken up. And a lot of us kind of go, what's the rapture look like? You know, we just want to go rapture check. You jump in the air and see what happens, you know? A lot of us go, hey, what's it going to The world's not going to see. They're not going to look up and they look at all the naked Christians in the air. Whoa. It's not going to be that. They're going to go, what happened? See, the world will stand up and go, hey, something's different, but they won't know it's about God. They'll be happy you're gone because you're the conscience of the world. They're going to be happy that you are not here because they hate you. Because why? They hated Christ before you. But Christian, you're going to be taken. And that is the love of God. And we could see also in Revelation, if you, if you study it, the church is only mentioned in the first three chapters. Whoa. Then you got to go all the way to the end then when the church is mentioned again. So we see that we are here for persecution. We see that we are challenged to live until that day. And church, we need to live like we are in that final time because we don't want God to find us dabbling, living, like we shouldn't live. And so we have to remind ourselves that we are here for something greater. Because look, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, 
who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. These are Jesus' words. That means he is not, you know, dependent on anything. His sovereignty rests on him. He is a glorious God. And we can trust him. He loves his church even when we're disobedient. He saved them. He saved you. And that is a great thing about this book to encourage us. But understand that Jesus reveals what he desires for you. He does. He reveals it right here. He wants you to finish well. See, though the church might be raptured, so, well, what doesn't matter. I'm out, right? No, that understanding should motivate us to live today for our God. Because you don't know when it could happen. How do you want God to find you? Somebody that's belligerent and I don't care anymore? I don't care what God thinks. Somebody that's just going through the motions, kind of living a fake life. Someone that's dabbling in things they shouldn't dabble in. You know, how do you want God to find you? Because I tell you, your God is an amazing God. And our God is, wants you to understand that you're here for something larger than you. Look here at, in John, uh, excuse me, Revelation 9. It says, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation." and the kingdom and the perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he is there and he can understand what the church, what those Christians are going to because why? He has been persecuted for Jesus. Get used to that. That's what it's all about. It's not the cushy life that we've grown accustomed to. We are to live for him. And look what he says. And it says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet and saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. So here we have Jesus speaking directly to John saying, you know what? It's time for you to do something. It's time for you to write to these churches. I've got a plan for you and I want these churches to understand I've got a plan for them because he's a, a sovereign God. And what's that plan? Look at verse 12. And it says, and I turned to see the voice that was speaking to, with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now we think of this golden lampstands like, what is that? Those are the symbols of the churches. So what's the church supposed to be? The church is to be lights. Lights in a world that hates us. Lights in a world that wants to persecute us. Lights in a world that, that is so dark that, that needs to be lit up. As I wrote here, the church is to be the light in the dark world. That's what we're called to be. We can read what Jesus said to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, the world is supposed to say, you know what, they're just like me. No! The world's going to say, what's up with them? There's something different. We're to be that light in a, in, a, in a world of stink. 
We're to be the light in a world that is so dark that they are lost. We're to be a light for, for this God that they think is weak. You ever notice how the, the pictures of Jesus, you know, they're like, he's like this pasty person a lot of times. And he's like, oh. And, it's really, and he's got these little locks that come down. And then you got Satan that lies to the world and makes Satan and evil and death cool. You can see it in bumper stickers. You can see it in what people wear. You can see the different things. That death is cool and, and God is weak. I tell you, your God's going to make them mourn. Your God is so powerful. He's not this God that we portray. We love the loving God. Oh, we want the loving God. But you know what? When they don't choose him, it's not going to be all that loving. When that world rejects God, it's not a good thing. Because he is mighty and powerful, and I tell you, scary. That's why they will all see him, and they will mourn. They will be fearful. They will hide. But we know, as I shared in our last series, there is no place for them to hide. Look what our God is now. We saw him once, and we see him in the Gospels of who he was, but look at him now, and we'll, we'll unpack it here, and, and we'll see it here in verse 13. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one, like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, mar uh, reaching to his feet. And girded across his chest was a gold sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like flame of a flame of a fire. And his feet were like brandished bar burnished bronze when it was made to glow in the furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came the sharp two-edged sword. And his, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. That's not a weak God. Fire for eyes. Brilliant. Glowing. And his words were his weapon. I mean, we see this is a weapon, but when Jesus speaks, everyone will cower in fear and we will worship and rejoice because we know Jesus. But the world will not see him like that. They will see him, and I tell you, if we saw Jesus for who he is truly, oh man, we would respond differently. We'd respond just like John. And John, you know who John was? John was the guy that would put his head on Jesus' lap. And John constantly refers to himself, the one who Jesus loved. John had this familiarity with Jesus no other disciple had. It was a caring relationship. It was a loving relationship. It was a personal relationship. And now look at John's response to his Jesus that he knew. And he says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man our God is an amazing mighty God he is the God that wants us to do what he desires and he's worthy of our praise he's worthy of our worship he's worthy of our lives to live like lights and so often we forget that 
But this book is to motivate you to live like that and to understand that Jesus, he's going to reveal something more to us. Jesus reveals his authority to you. That's the wonder. He's going to encourage you with it. He's going to motivate you with it. And as we unpack it, he wants you to live for him because he's got it all. He's holding the world in his hand. A lot of times we forget that he has all the power. See, like I said, a lot of times we look at Jesus as mushy, like, where are you, God? He's got it handled. He's got it handled. We need to keep going for him. Look what it says here in verse 17. And it says, And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I mean, God was here before. He's reiterated, and this is the third time we heard this. He's here before, and he's here to the last. No one else was here before, before God. And nothing is going to outlast God. He is there, and he is forevermore. And you know what else I love about this verse? Look at this. He's got keys. He's got keys to death and to Hades. Now, I'm going to say this flippantly, but I like it. You've got to understand this and understand it well. Is the one with the keys has the power. Ask any custodian. Man, you want to get somewhere? You know what? You could be the CEO, but you can't unlock things. You can't lock things either. God locks just as much as he unlocks. You're either locked and sealed with him or you're going to be locked and sealed forever away from him. He's got the keys. He's got the power. And we can rest in that. But we don't have a lot of time left. Church, I do believe. Our church, I do, I'll say this, I pray that we are raptured. But that means we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when and where. And so that is why the church then and the church now has to be ready. In verse 19, it says, therefore. See, the therefore is why all this has been laid out. Therefore, write these things which you have seen, the things which are, the things which will take place after these things. And the, and And as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars, and the seven the the, the seven stars are the seven angels, and the seven uh, seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, what does that mean, real quick? Why does he end this chapter like that? And then we go on to the letters. See, the stars, they represent the prevailing spirit of the church. What the church is about. What their heart is. See, that's what Jesus wants to get at. He goes, my church is to be a lampstand, but the prevailing spirit is wishy-wash. The prevailing spirit is sin, dabbling in sin. The prevailing spirit is following bad doctrine. The prevailing spirit is to go through the motions but not love God. The the prevailing sin of the church is what we have to address. And then 
That's what we'll address to ourselves. We've got to ask ourselves, what are we going to do? How is God going to find you? When you are there on that day, maybe it's next week, maybe it's in 10 years, and you are taken up to glory. Are you going to find yourself, Jesus find you dabbling in sin, one foot in the world, one foot out of the world? Oh, I'm a churchgoer, but you're complacent. Is he going to find you on fire? It's our choice. As it says in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heeds the things which are written in it. For time is near. It's near. Will you be blessed? Or will you be caught off guard? That's the choice each church and each Christian in the church must take. How will you respond? Are you encouraged, motivated, or complacent? Let's pray. Lord God, what a mighty, mighty word you've given to us. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the time to encourage the ones you love, your church, to stay the course, to live well now, to live well to the end. Help us, God, to do that. As our brothers and sisters who have come before us and persevered, thank you for their testimony to us so that we can say to ourselves, if they can do it, yes, I can do it through you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have encouraged us one-on-one so we can say, I can do this because of your sovereign love, because you are an authority and you have a desire for me, which means I can do it. God, I pray for this church. Lord, we love them, I love them, and I pray that you would just bless them as they go forward this week, that they would decide, Lord, to look at them, their lives deeper and to, to see where there's faltering. Lord, I pray that as we go, I pray for this church as they would contemplate, that they would look at the culture, they would look at the world, and not just say, oh, that's nice, but say, I want something different. I want to live righteously. I want to finish well. I want to start well. I want to I run well. I want to do it all for you, God. Give us that conviction, God. Help us as we go. Bless this church. I ask these things in Jesus' name.